Conversations about real estate are peppered throughout the meetings that we have with clients. We've learned a lot from successful people as well as seen the power of how owning real estate can be a positive and also a negative one within someone's financial picture. Today, we are going to review some of the conversations we've had with clients that have been both successful in real estate and the clients that regret they ever tried to explore the opportunity. So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you who live demanding lives who never seem to have enough time able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets. This is Tom Seco and CJ Burnett. We're financial advisors that work with veterinarians, practice owners in the veterinary community across the U.S., owners of Florida Veterinary Advisors, and the host of the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. Our mission is to provide a different way of thinking to make financial decisions easy so you can spend time doing other things. Make sure to check out all of our other great resources available on our website, such as complimentary financial race CEs, assessments, videos, and articles. You can find them by visiting our website at flvetadvisors.com. And if you're finding this podcast to be helpful, make sure to rate and review us on Apple or Spotify. If not, give us a rating on the Smarter Vet Podcast Facebook page and follow us there. So Tom, how often would you say when we're in client meetings, taking someone through the financial planning process, whether they be business owners or not, how many times as a percentage do you think that you're talking to somebody about how they're going to use real estate in their plan? I'd say 100% of the time. Yeah, it's probably close to 100%. Today's episode, we're going to talk mainly about real estate. Now, there's no there's no recommendation. We're not saying you should put money or shouldn't put money in real estate. We're just going to talk about our experience working with clients and how some people have used it in a great way and some people sometimes regret that they ever just tried to do it at all. This topic gets brought up probably every person that we talk to towards the beginning of most conversations. And there's so many different opinions and thoughts around how real estate should be approached and should it be part of your one part of your overall asset building plan. But at the same time, there's even even questions we get from people who are wanting to be first time home buyers. And how do we go about approaching buying a home or should we buy houses or rental income? We hear it's such a great thing over time. And most people, they when they do look at wanting to buy a house, we find that the biggest reason or the explanation behind it is that I hate paying for rent. I mean, I definitely will say when I got out of school back in uh, when I was in college, it was great paying for rent at the time because I was just sort of there and allowed for me to be flexible. But then most people, they do get that standpoint of where it's like, one, you don't have your ability to do what you want to your house. You can't make the modifications to it. But then you also feel like you're just, you're wasting money. Like you're just well, putting I, money I, towards I, something that's not yours. The American dream is to own a home, supposedly, right? Like that was like most people want to own real estate of some kind, right? Just because, and most people really want like, because I, I, there's a difference between a house and a home. Sometimes when you're renting and you know that you're only going to be there for so long, you feel like it's more of a house. But whenever you own it, now you can change it. Feels You can now make it more of a home. Like I know my wife, especially when, when we were early in marriage, getting married at 20, we were renting and you know she could, you couldn't make a whole lot of modifications. But the second that we bought a house, it was like, oh, this is great. Now I can, I can do things. You start tearing it. down walls and <laughs> tearing down <laughs> do walls. You want. Yeah. Get, get a different, you don't <laughs> like the fridge, toss it, get another one. Right. So, so it does help. Now I think building equity. So most people plan to keep their homes. And, and of course, whenever you do buy a house over time, you, you build equity, not just because the home grows in value, 
but also because you're paying off that mortgage every month over time. But I, you know, one thing that I know that we run across the, a lot of people think that their home is an investment, which I think it can, it, it can be looked as, as an investment. Um, although most of the time an investment you're really buying because the idea is to then sell it at some point. Whereas when you buy a home, if you're going to sell it, like you got to live somewhere, like you're never going to not have to have a place to stay. So, you know, most often than not, I think people have to be very careful of thinking of their house, the, the home that they buy as being an investment as opposed to like the place that they're just need, they just need to have a place to live. And that equity part of it, what's something that's coming to my mind as we're talking about this, the equity people will usually roll it into another house. So then they get that little bit of equity and allows for them to buy a bigger house and then a bigger house or a more expensive home. And especially I know in 2023 at the moment, house prices are unaffordable for a lot of people. So it's like, well, if you did have a house that build equity in it and then you could put it down towards the other house, it could help with the overall payment, but it is not really going to be an investment at the end of the day. Right. Cause you got to live somewhere. And the only way you get access to the equity in your home is either you sell the home or you get something like a HELOC, like a home equity line of credit. Because I know some people will sometimes get a HELOC to pay off other debt or they'll get a HELOC to upgrade their home. And so in the context of owning real estate, as far as being your home, might want to think of it more of like, this is a place that I've got to live as opposed to like, this is a place that I'm investing in so to speak. A guideline that we like to follow when it comes to, let's say you're buying your first home or you're looking to buy a new home because people are always asking, okay, what can I actually afford in a home? And we're not talking about investments right now. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment when it comes to properties and some thoughts around it. But let's say you want to have your primary residence. What we boil this down to is a principle of ours is that when you look at the interest and also the balance that you're paying on the mortgage, it's called principal and interest it should not be more than about 15% of your gross income. The mortgage industry is very notorious for saying that you you know, can afford a more amount than that. I know sometimes they give approvals for 30 to 40% of your debt or of your income. So it's like, they say you can qualify for this kind of home, but it's like, can you really afford it? Well, I, I think, but that 15%, Tom, like whenever we talk to people, just so that people listening to this can really get an understanding, that 15% is just the principal and interest. Of, of it. It doesn't account, it doesn't account for the escrow and the insurance, right? That 15. So that 15% may sound like, well, how am I going to do that? No, it's just the 15% is the principal and interest. Now, right. and when we say 15%, what we, what we really are, where that number comes from is we know that statistically speaking, even if you lost a significant amount of your income, you wouldn't find yourself in a place where now you're having to decide, do I buy groceries or pay, pay my mortgage? Cause that's like, that's rough, right? When it's like, okay, either I go get dinner or I pay my mortgage, like most people are just going to say, hey, I'm going to pay my mortgage and go hungry. But when you're married with kids, like that may not be an option, which then you put money on a credit card and now you're in trouble, right? So, you know, that 15% is really a guideline that we tell people to follow. It's very conservative. So if you go above that, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world, but it is something to consider. Like as far as like, hey, what if one of the two of you, if, if especially if you're buying a home together, what if one of you loses their job or what if one of you uh, gets disabled and your income goes down by a particular amount? Like it's good to have at least kind of know from a, as far as what your backup plan would be if the unexpected did happen. And you could buy a little bit more of a house with the idea that your home, your income is going to increase over time. The biggest thing is you want to avoid becoming, you know, term we like to talk about is becoming house poor. You buy this very nice house, this big home, and then you can't even put a, a sofa in there or make sure you have a refrigerator. And now you're having to borrow even more money 
to be able to put stuff in there. So you've taken out these uh, 0% interest credit cards or finding ways to be able to now fill this home. And, you know, one thing is it will just start creeping into other parts of your lifestyle that maybe you do want to travel or there's other ambitions that you have. So it's a really good rule of thumb to follow. Let's talk about how we, how we build wealth using real estate. Like how is it actually done? Because I'm sure a lot of you have heard a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different people as far as how real estate becomes a good investment. Now, Real estate, the returns really come from a couple of different areas. The first way the return comes from real estate is through rental income. Rental income is actual income. The government sees that as taxable income to you. So you buy a place, you then rent it out, someone moves in, they're paying you rent every month. And yes, that rent every month becomes taxable income. There are some ways to offset that tax. We're not going to go too far into that. Um, but that's that's one of the ways that you get a return on the money. Secondly, you get a return if you sell it, right? You buy a house for $100,000, you turn around, you sell it for $150,000, you take your $50,000 in gains, and that's what you get. That's how you get a return on that. Returns, generally speaking, are dragged down by maintenance, like just general maintenance, like mowing the lawn, changing out the AC filter, right? Like, because most likely if you rent, someone rents your property, they're probably not doing that for you. You're probably gonna have to have somebody that, that does that for you. Taxes. Taxes are going to reduce your returns. So you want to take that into account. Insurance, how much are you paying for insurance? And of course, the unexpected, like sometimes you rent out a place and someone come, someone moves in, maybe they have a couple of kids, they end up busting through a couple of different walls and now you got to replace you know, some of the walls. And so there are other things that can kind of drag down that return that you get in the form from the rental income or even from the property whenever you try to sell it. Because if you if you have a damp, if you bought a property and then it gets damaged and then you try to sell it, it's obviously not going to sell for the same price as if it wasn't damaged. From what we've noticed over time, that when you do want to have rentals or have other properties beyond your primary residence, when you own just one property, this can tend to be a kind of make it or break it for a lot of people. We've had examples where people are actually losing money every year by owning a home because of just the amount of those things that come up. Uh, unexpected stuff and uh, AC blows on the on the house or this cost accrue. And then by the time they know it, they're losing money or if they are making anything, it's very little that they're not able to really get a major return. And what they're really leaning on is hopefully that that mortgage balance eventually gets paid down, which could be viewed in many different ways. And in most, a lot of instances where we found that people have the most success when it comes to having properties out there is when you have a few of them. Either it's like you own three different properties, like single family homes, or you buy buildings that have multiple rental units in it. Because if one's not doing so well, then the other ones are able to pick up the the loss that could be experienced in that one property. So it, it can be a headache, though. I've, I've heard from a lot of people that do manage multiple properties, trying to do it on your own and being a veterinarian or a practice owner. That's it's, it's a lot of effort. Well, so that's, that's where practice... So well, and, and that, that brings to mind uh, one client we had, I'll never forget, one client said, we want to invest more in real estate. And I said, why? And they said, well, because it's always done well for us. I said, well, what do you mean by that? She said, well, we just sold a property for 200000 that we paid $100,000 for it. And I was like, oh, that's okay. When did you pay $100,000 for that? 1996. Okay, pause. What did you pay in taxes? What did you collect in rental income? And so- I was actually able to, for the most part, go back, get all the, get a lot of the data. And I, it wasn't perfect data, but it was, it was close-ish to what they were paying in taxes because you can get all this stuff from the internet. 
right? You can look up an address and you can get what they, what that person paid in taxes every year. And so I got some rough and dirty numbers as far as what insurance costs, all that kind of stuff. I did the analysis. I put it all in Excel. They actually had a return of like negative one and a half percent. And it was because they were kind of once looking at it one sided of like, okay, we, we bought it for a hundred, sold it for 200. So clearly a hundred thousand dollars, we made a hundred thousand dollars. It's like, well, if you make if you made a hundred thousand dollars, but all of those other little things that you paid along the way ended up being more than a hundred thousand dollars, then you really actually didn't make any money at all. So you really want to be careful as far as how you go about generating income from an from a property of making sure like what return you're actually getting and calculating that, because that oftentimes should dictate whether or not you buy a property. It, you should recognize like how much rent can you get in that from that property if you rented it out. And then look and see how the numbers stack up to the actual purchase price that you're gonna that you're gonna buy it for. When it comes to flipping properties, we've also had clients that have made a lot of money, but you really also again need to be careful when you're flipping. So owning a property can sometimes, uh, especially if you're flipping, can be better than than maybe renting it out. There are certain properties that when you buy short term, it can be better because what you can do is you can just fix it up. And real quick, within three, five, six months, whatever it is, put it back on the market once you've been able to make it better and get, so maybe you buy a property for 300,000, you put another $50,000 into it, and then six months later, you're able to sell it for 400. If that's what you're trying to do, that's also something that a lot of people have been been very successful doing, because especially if you buy it for 300, put 50 grand into it, sell it for 400, that's a $50,000 gain. But again, consider, what kind of tax are you paying? Because more than likely, your CPA will be, be able to help you kind of navigate this. But more than likely, if you have a short-term capital gain on a property, you probably, most likely, will be paying ordinary income tax on it. When flipping properties, you will definitely have other carry costs that come along with it. They're the loan that you might end up taking out on it, uh, other types of insurance, certain things that you just have to have in the process of this. Flipping houses, I will say building a real estate portfolio is one of the most challenging of them all because it's you're having to find uh, what we call depreciated properties or ones that really uh, you can find something that is, is less than what it really could be worth and you can pump some money into it. Some people have to have a, a knack for that. So if you're able to really dive down and find those, there are people that I know who actually spend their entire their career is focused on flipping houses. That's all they do. So if you're trying to do that alongside with uh, being able to be a veterinarian or a practice owner, it might be a little bit more challenging because now you need to facilitate contractors and finding people to do the work for you. Make sure you have a project manager or someone who's actually doing these things for you to make sure they're getting completed. Uh, so it's a lot more involved compared to, let's say, just renting properties because you can buy a place. And then you can really do the math of, okay, if you buy it for this and the mortgage and all this stuff is this, and then, well, I can collect this much rent. You can sort of do the math around what you can expect from it, but then really being able to project more from there of, well, if the AC breaks or if there's other costs that have to be in there, those are stuff that you might want to consider. And there have been people that have talked to us where they're like, you know, I want to quit being a veterinarian and I just, I just want to have properties that produce me income. It's like, well, you're really trading one career for another, right? Because you're, if you have 10 properties that you have to manage, like either you have to hire somebody to manage those, which then also drags down your return, or you manage them, which you may not actually be able to make more as a property manager, someone who owns these properties, you may not be able to make more than maybe working as a veterinarian in your own hospital, right? Have owning a, owning an actual vet practice. 
because there are some people where they come to us and they're making really good money and they're like, yeah, I just want to do real estate. It's like, if that's your passion, probably going to be okay, right? Go ahead and do it 100%. If vet med is something you want out, then like, that's okay. But if it's something that you think you're going to go into real estate and make more money doing, that may or may not be the case. Anything about real estate today with the the changing real estate, let's say real estate, um, no pun intended here, but the the demographics of how people can invest money and be able to uh, accumulate assets and build a portfolio that the market actually does offer options to participate in real estate through different types of funds that are available out there. So if you don't want to have to take on all of that risk of actually buying a place and holding and carry costs, like there are the possibilities and really the whole idea of why anyone would want to put real estate in, I will tell you what I've heard over time and time again is it's it's consistent. It's kind of like steady Eddie. You know that there's going to be a certain return that you can get from it. But when you really calculate from what CJ was saying earlier of, well, what was what were the taxes? What were the insurance costs? What were the maintenance that you had to do to this property? If you put your money into the market in comparison to putting it in the real estate, which one would have put you better off at the end of the day? So it's not really, I would say, in my perspective on this, it's not picking one or the other. It's really it's being able to find, like, does it make sense to incorporate into your portfolio? How does it actually really help you? And it might be something good to put there or maybe not at all. Well, and, and, and your approach matters more than anything on how you're, how you're going no. about. Because I, like Tom, I know we've met some people that did real estate really well. And then we've met people that have done real estate really horribly, right? And mm -hmm. there is a specific way to go about doing it. And obviously, we can't talk about that in a 20-minute podcast, but we do usually work with clients to understand how real estate serves inside of their plan because real estate does can, can definitely serve a, a particular purpose inside of people's financial plans, especially throughout, you know, before retirement, even before retirement, even through retirement, it can still serve some sort of purpose. Now, I will say a real estate-only plan that's also putting a lot of eggs all in one basket. Doesn't mean it can't work. It actually, it actually probably could work uh, in in certain instances. But it is something that where you know uh, if if someone's doing that, they do have to kind of know exactly what they're doing and, and are, to a certain degree are specialized with knowing how to how to make it work. One one last thought around this with real estate. Let's say you're a practice owner and you're either considering acquiring a, your property that your practice is at or you're going to buy, uh, build a practice, or you currently own it, and your ambition is to one day you know, sell your veterinary hospital with the goal of renting it and getting rent from it continuously. Depending on the economic environments, like this has been proven to be good in certain circumstances, and in other situations, it might not be as effective. And it's something to also look at if you are buying real estate, uh, is it does it make sense to even continue to hold on to your business property longer term, or is it something that you should divest from or actually sell at some point or another to find better options for you along the way? So is real estate a good or bad investment? The answer, it depends. It depends on the approach. It depends on the use of how you're, how it's being used within a personal financial plan, but relying on real estate to be the only thing that's going to make someone successful may not work out the way that a lot of people hope. Please help us spread the word about the podcast by liking the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast Facebook page. If you listen on Apple or Spotify or some of the major platforms, rate us on there and take this episode and share it with at least one of your friends or colleagues. If you could make it three, it'd help be able to spread the great information that we're pushing out here to everyone. This is CJ Burnett. And I'm Tom Seco. 
Wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Hey, did you know that we're going to be at BMX in 2024? If you're going to be visiting the show, make sure to stop by our booth at 409 and you might have a chance to be spotlighted or a participant on our show, the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. And alongside that, we are going to be having some really fun giveaways and activities that we're going to be doing. So make sure to stop by the booth 409 at BMX 2024. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seiko are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seiko's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purpose only. Only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Number 2023-163234 expires October 2025.